And when you find your place, would you stand? A most familiar passage in Scripture this morning. I doubt anybody here doesn't know the account that's here in Joshua chapter 6. Nevertheless, a great read. Bible says, beginning here in Joshua chapter 6 and verse 1, Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor. And ye shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once. Thou shalt, uh, thus shalt thou do six days. And seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horn. And the seventh day ye shall compass the city seven times. And the priests shall blow with the trumpets. And it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. And Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said unto them, Take up the ark of the covenant, let seven priests bear uh, seven trumpets or ram's horn before the ark of the Lord. And he said unto the people, Pass on, encompass the city, and let him that is armed pass on before the ark of the Lord. And it came to pass, when Joshua had spoken unto the people, that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets or ram's horn passed on before the Lord, and blew the trumpets, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. And the armed men went before the priests that blew with the trumpets, and the rear ward came after the ark, the priests going on and blowing with the trumpets. And Joshua had commanded the people, saying, Ye shall not shout, nor make any noise with your voice, neither shall any word proceed out of your mouth, until that day I bid you shout, then shall you shout. So the ark of the Lord compassed the city, going about at once, and they came into the camp and lodged in the camp. And Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord, and seven priests bearing seven trumpets or ram's horn before the ark of the Lord went on continually, and blew with the trumpets, and the armed men went before them, but the rear ward came after the ark of the Lord, the priests going on and blowing with the trumpets. And the second day they compassed the city once and returned into the camp, so they did six days. And it came to pass on the seventh day that they arose early about the dawning of the day, encompassed the city after the same manner seven times, only on that day they compassed the city seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time when the priests blew with the trumpets, Joshua said unto the people, Shout, for the Lord hath given you the city, and the city shall be accursed, even it and all that are therein to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all that are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that were sent. And ye in any wise keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest ye make yourselves accursed when ye take of the accursed thing, and make the camp of Israel accursed and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted when the priests blew with the trumpets. And it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet. And the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. So that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old and ox, and sheep and ass, with the edge of the sword. But Joshua had said unto the two men that had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house, and bring out thence the woman and all that she hath, as she swear unto her. And the young men that were spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father. I bet you, uh, uh, just a pause, I bet you they were glad to see them. Amen. <laughs> What a, what a wild thing. Her father and mother and her brethren and all that she had, and they brought out all her kindred and left them without the camp of Israel. 
And they burnt the city with fire, and all that was therein, only the silver and the gold and the vessels of brass and iron, they put in the treasure of the house of the Lord. And Joshua saved Rahab the harlot alive, and her father's household, and all that she had, and she dwelt in Israel even unto this day, because she hid the messengers, which Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. And Joshua adjured them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord that riseth up and buildeth this city Jericho. He shall lay the foundation thereof in his firstborn, and in his youngest son he shall set up the gates of it. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was noise throughout all the country. Brother Jared, would you ask the Lord's help in the preaching this morning? Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. What a great passage of scripture. What a great historical narrative. Uh, and not so great for the Jerichoites. Amen. But what a great passage of scripture. Everybody knows it. And the walls came a tumbling down. Now there's a few things that I'd like to see when I get to heaven. I'd like to see David get it in the head with the stone. Amen. And I want to see the walls of Jericho come down. Not to mention, I want the Lord to replay the Red Sea, reel them back, and then the, and the Jordan. I mean, there's just a bunch of things I want to see. And uh, uh, Hollywood isn't even close to doing what the Lord does. Amen? But what a, what a great passage. What a great, uh, what a great chapter in Scripture. And uh, we have a, a number of things before us this morning. And uh, the walls of Jericho coming down here. To me, I see a couple pictures here real quick, but just by way of introduction. And what it does, it pictures the city of Babylon being destroyed at the second advent. Uh, both cities are accursed in the Bible. Both cities are connected with a harlot. Interesting enough, isn't it? And here historically, the silver and gold in Jericho, they're consecrated to the Lord. And no doubt, I'll just go ahead and step out on a limb and cut my own branch off. I would say when the Lord comes back, I'm going to guess that the provisions for the millennial temple will be made from the silver and gold met by the destruction of Babylon. Makes sense to me. Amen. Uh, here in this chapter, Israel marches around the city, as you know it, once a day for six days. And on the seventh day, they march around it seven times, and they don't say a word. And, of course, after marching around it the seventh time, they all shout with a great shout. That's how you know they weren't Baptists. Amen. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad somebody laughed at that. Uh, they, they, must have been, uh, they must have been Methodists. Amen. But anyways, you got these uh, 600,000 armed men and priests and they're shouting and the walls come down just like the Lord said it would. Amen. Now listen, uh, what we see in verse 2, you see the promise given. The promise given is in verse 2 and that of course is given by prophecy in verse 5. The promise is given by prophecy in verse 5. In verse 3, simply you and I, we just see the plan beginning to unfold. And in verse 10 we see Israel's personal preparation. They had to get up and they had to do some things, amen? Some personal preparation. And in verse 20, we see the prize or the payoff, which is the walls come down in victory. If you're going to preach that expositionally, that's kind of how I'd preach that thing, using running peas with alliteration and so forth and so on. But there's a verse in this passage that got my attention. It was the very last one, verse 27. And I'd like to give you some things this morning. That last verse says this, So the Lord was with Joshua... And his fame was noise throughout all the country. 
I don't know about you, I like generals. I like, I like to study generals in history. I like to the study Civil War generals. I like to study the World War I and World War II generals. Uh, you say, when do you do that? Well, you know, you just, you know, just invent hours of the day to do that stuff. You know, you're so busy as it is. But uh, I, I, I like studying Napoleon. He was a weirdo. But anyways, I like studying Napoleon. What a great battle general. And uh, at the end, he just got too, too cocky for his own good. And, of course, he met his Waterloo. <laughs> I like these generals. And here you've got General Joshua. Moses is gone. Uh, Moses is off the scene. And what a military feat. And the weirdest thing you've ever seen in your life is what just, just happened. And here the Bible says in verse 27, he says, So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was noised throughout all the country. And I got to thinking, as a child of God, I see some spiritual lessons about serving the Lord through this chapter. You and I are servants of the Most High God, amen? When you and I trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, we become a son of God, amen, through adoption. The Bible says in John 1, 12, But as many as received Him, them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe unto them. I'm thankful to be a son of God, but not just a son of God. I'm a servant of God. That is, I have chosen because He loves me, and I get to, I have chosen to serve Him. He doesn't require that you serve Him. But let me tell you what I've learned in my Christian life. It's just better off if I do. Because if I'm not putting myself in the position of a servant, by the way, which the Lord did that first, right? He took upon Himself the form of a servant. If I'm not trying to be more conformed to His image, that's when I get into trouble. If I'm not trying to be conformed into His image, which the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, that I will one day because I have my new body, but if I'm not trying to be conformed in His image, there's something about this image that I just seem to resurrect all the time. And just like that fellow Enoch in the Bible walking with God, I'd rather have people see God than see me. Now look, I'm trapped in this flesh just like you're trapped in your flesh until the day you get on out of here, amen? But there, if there's a possibility that I could let the Lord, that let people around me, let this community around me see the Lord Jesus Christ through my actions, by the way, which they will not all like or appreciate. You understand that, right? Don't let the world fool you into thinking that everything that you do has to be approved by this world. If you're in Sunday school this morning, you were reminded how presently evil this world is. I don't know about you, but I've had it with this world. This world has nothing to offer me. I'm sick and tired of this world. And if it was all right with you all, and we could vote on this thing, I'd get out of here today, amen? But if you're going to serve God, there's some great lessons of serving the Lord that's found through Joshua chapter 6. And you see it, that thing is precursored with verse number 27. If I could, I'll just go ahead and jump into this thing and just give you some spiritual lessons on serving the Lord. You know that David said in the Psalms, he says, serve the Lord with Gladness. But let me tell you what, when you serve the Lord, it doesn't always bring gladness, does it? Sometimes it brings a kick in the teeth. Okay, well, one of you serves the Lord, and the rest of you are just like wondering, I'm not sure about this whole kicking in the teeth thing, but that's the way serving the Lord will go sometimes. But let me show you this, first of all. If you serve the Lord, let me say this. You will be distinct to this world. I didn't say you'll stink, but you all be uh, off-scarring smells at times, amen? But you'll be distinct. That just means you'll be peculiar. That doesn't mean a weirdo. Let me remind you a little bit about history. I'm sure some of you hate it. John Calvin was a fellow that was hated by people around him in Geneva and Switzerland, but it wasn't for his great stand upon the Lord Jesus Christ. 
The reason they hated him is because he thought he was better than everybody else and he tried to regulate people. We're not in the business of regulating Christians. Matter of fact, you don't belong to me. Amen? The fact that you chose to come to church this morning is a blessing or else I'd be preaching to Oak Pews. But you belong to Jesus Christ. And the reason some people in history get such a bad blight about them is not because they were so important or they actually did something for the Lord Jesus Christ is they stuck their nose in everybody's business and they told them everything to do and they tried to regulate people. But let me tell you, if you're going to serve God, uh, there's a couple of things I see here. And the first thing is you'll be distinct. You know the passage in Titus chapter 2, verse 14? It says, Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people. Now, don't you think that uh, the children of Israel are a little bit distinct, a little bit peculiar in this passage? I mean, don't you know that the, uh, the soldiers of Jericho, the Jerichoite soldiers, however you say that thing, and they're up on that wall, and they, their hearts were melting, the Bible said. They'd heard they come through the Red Sea there, and then they come over and they, they kick the tails of those two kings, the east side of Jordan, right? What is it, Sihon and is it Og? Is that his name? Anyway, he's a weirdo, real tall, goofy-looking mutant fellow there, and so forth. And the Red Sea rolled back, and they walked through and then defeated them kings. And then they come over to Jordan, and the Jordan peels back, and they walk on dry ground. Don't you know those soldiers in Jericho were flipping out? At this time, this is where I would like to say, I think it's time to use my air miles and get out of Dodge. Because I can't see anything good. But imagine, that's just like a picture of a sinner resisting God. Jericho was straightly shut up. You ever try to lead someone to Jesus Christ? You ever try to witness to somebody? And all of a sudden they lay siege and they just shut, it. They just shut everything down, don't they? You say, well, yeah, that's because you're not doing it. Stop, it isn't either. It's because the sinner is so entrenched in his own self-righteousness. And you know what? Jericho could have put up the white flag, couldn't they? They could have said, here you go, here's the keys to the city. But I'll tell you what, those people, they're serving God. They were so distinct. You know that those soldiers, those Jerichoites over there on the top of the wall there, their hearts were melting, they were flipping out, and they'd heard all about that thing, and all of a sudden, here comes the army. 600,000 armed men. If you can picture this thing, I believe the way the Scripture lays it out, you've got 500 and about 60,000 armed men in front, and then you have the priests, and then you have the Ark of the Covenant, and then you have the 40,000 rear guard, the rear ward, the Bible says. And if you look back uh, about two chapters back, I believe that's the three Transjordanian tribes. Uh, Ephraim, uh, Ephraim uh, help me out. Yes, thank you very much. Those guys there, 40,000 in the back. But wouldn't you agree that's pretty peculiar? And then day one... They don't know anything about this, but their hearts melt, and they're walking around that city. Do you realize in battle, if you studied any battle tactics whatsoever, when men lay siege to a city, they usually shout the town down. They usually make all kinds of uh, ruckus. You say, why do they do that? Well, two reasons. It stimulates courage to the soldiers on your side, and it creates fear in the, in the other side. But here they are. They're distinct. They're peculiar, and they show up here, and they just march around. They don't say a word. I mean, they weren't even supposed to say a word as someone fell over or something, tripped over something. They couldn't say nothing. They're peculiar. You're a peculiar people, the Bible says. The Bible says you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a peculiar nation. And you're supposed to be bringing forth the praises of God. 
I'm saying here this morning, if you're going to serve the Lord, you will be distinct to this world. And by the way, that is contrasted with being like the world. Christian, if you're going to serve the Lord, you're going to be different. We're doing all right this morning. Different than the world. Not as in, uh, I like Pepsi and you like Coke. Coke Zero is okay. Not as in uh, taste, but as far as peculiar. You know that word peculiar? You know, people think that means weird. That might be a synonym of the word, odd or distinct, right? But you know, peculiar is simply the property of another. That's the definition of it. Ain't that the truth? When you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you became the property of another. Ain't that something? If you're going to serve the Lord, you're going to be peculiar. You're going to be distinct to this world. And those uh, soldiers on the wall of Jericho, I bet you they were wondering what was going on. I bet you they really were. And, uh, and uh, I bet you by day seven, imagine by day seven, there are soldiers up there on that wall probably shouting them down. Oh, what are you going to do, walk us to death? I got a, got a couple dogs here. You want to take them for a walk too? I bet you they were beginning to mock and jeer them. But all of a sudden after the seventh time, boy, did they find out different, didn't they? And if you're going to serve God, you're going to be distinct in this world. Let me give you number two. If you're going to serve the Lord, you know what you're going to do? You will defeat and see the discomfiture over all obstacles. You will defeat and see the discomfiture over all obstacles. Look at Joshua chapter 6, verse 20. You say, that's just positive thinking. No, that's truth. Look at this. The Bible says in verse 20, So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets. And it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. Isn't that something? It all came about just like the Lord told Joshua, didn't it? It happened just the way God's word said it would happen. And listen, Christian, it's going to happen in your life just the way God said it would happen. I want you to try to get a hold of that this morning. And if you're going to serve the Lord, you are going to be able to defeat and see the discomfiture of all obstacles. You say, I don't know about that. I'm a little... Yeah, I know you're scared about that, but you've got to stop and think about it. Think about it just for a second with me this morning. If the Lord has called you to do something, no obstacle will be able to stop you unless you give up. Can you chew on that just for a minute? Don't you often sell yourself short? Don't you often sell the Lord short? I've done it a time or ten. <laughs> he called me to preach, Lord. He's like, yeah, I'm hoping you get with it soon, amen. But you're going to see the defeat and discomfiture of all those obstacles, and the only reason you won't be able to do what God said is if you quit. You can't quit. If God has called you to do something, the only reason you won't be able to do it is you, don't, you quit. I'm telling you, it's not positive thinking, it's not positive preaching, it's just a biblical fact. Now, of course, that doesn't mean you won't come through this world unscathed, right? See, oh, now I'll preach it, now it's going to be making sense now, yeah. And I'm not saying you're going to be able to come through this world and nothing will ever hit you, nothing will ever hurt you, nothing will ever harm you. I mean, take Paul, for example. He did everything he was supposed to do. You ever stop and think first, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 12, what happened to him? Well, he had gripings and complainings from the churches. <laughs> Boy, that's tough, ain't it? 
He had accusations from false brethren. He had all the Jews against him. Every time he went to a city, man, the Jews about ready to kill him. How'd you like that for a welcoming committee? I'm here to preach Jesus. Ah! Everywhere he went, he stirred it right up. But you know what he's doing? Exactly what God wanted him to do. He could have quit, right? I mean, if anybody had a reason to quit in the Bible, wouldn't you agree with me this morning that Paul had a reason to quit? I mean, about the time he got to Lystra, right, and they bashed his brains in with, they stoned him, the Bible says, I'd been like, hey, it's time for a sabbatical, man. <laughs> it's time to go to Aruba, wherever, anywhere else, but here, this whole rock flying at my head, that yeah, I'm, time out, right? <laughs> Offsides, let's, let's back this thing up. If anybody had a reason to quit, it was Paul. And in your life, in your Christian life, you're going to come across things and you're going to be like, man, I need to get out of this mess. Ever since I've tried to live for Jesus Christ, ever since I tried to do what he told me to do, ever since I tried to be more faithful in my Bible reading, ever since I tried, see what I mean? It's gotten worse. Well, Paul, he had accusations from false brethren. Uh, the, the Jews were against him. The Romans were against him. How, the weather was against him. I felt like the weather had been against me for the last two weeks doing that type of tree work, man. I'm telling you what. You get up there and just try time, time, time to take some trees down and just rain. Are you kidding me? Yes, Lord, I know we need the rain, but not no. You ever feel like the weather's against you? Do some gardening? Too wet? Too dry? Too cold? Too hot? See what I mean? God's called you to do something. The only reason you won't be able to get it done is if you quit. I'm telling you here this morning, if you're going to serve the Lord, one of the great lessons from this is you can defeat and see the discomfiture of all obstacles along the way. You just got to stick with it. You got to keep going. I don't know where everybody's at today. Maybe you're all just, uh, you know, full of glory and just excited to be saved and all that, but maybe you're ready to quit. Maybe you're right at the end of your rope, like I've had enough of this stuff. And I'm sick and tired of trying to take a stand. I'm sick and tired of trying. I just, I just had enough. Keep going. Don't quit. Only reason you can't do what God wants you to do is if you quit. Faithful is he that call you who also will do it. Weather was against Paul. Paul was beat regularly. He was stoned regularly. He had shipwrecks. And not only that, as if that wasn't enough, he says, the care of all the churches. <laughs> he had a thorn in the flesh. On top of that, you know, because he just didn't have enough going on. You ever feel like that in your Christian life? I mean, there's some weeks, and then there's some weeks, man. And the days that you wanted to, well, I just should have went back to bed. And you can't sleep anyways. What are you going to go back to bed for? Your mind won't rest, right? You're all worried about everything. Like I said on Wednesday, you're all jacked up. Only reason you can't do is you quit. If anyone had a reason to quit, Paul did, but he kept on going. You say, why do you go through this thing? Well, you know what Paul said at the end of his life in 2 Timothy 4, 7? He said, I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I finished my course. I mean, you look at Paul's life and the fact that he could say under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, I have finished my course, that's it. The only reason you won't finish is if you quit. So if you're going to serve the Lord, I'm here to serve you notice of what you probably already know. You can and you will defeat and overcome all obstacles, but that doesn't mean you're going to do it without harm. <laughs> Let me give you number three here this morning.
some lessons in serving the Lord right out of Joshua chapter 6. If you serve the Lord, then you must be daring in your faith. Daring in your faith. Look at chapter 6, verse 12. 12. The Bible says, And Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord, and seven priests bearing seven trumpets of rest. By the way, the word seven or seventh uh, occurs 14 times in this chapter. That's seven, seven. <laughs> Ain't that something? Uh, look at verse 14. In the second day they compassed the city once and returned to the camp, and they did six days. 16, it came to pass at the seventh time when the priests blew the trumpets, Joshua, son of the people, shout for the Lord hath given you the city. And uh, verse 20, so the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets, and it came to pass when the people heard the uh, sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout, the wall fell down flat. How daring is that? If you serve the Lord, you must be daring your faith. The Jews in this chapter number right around 600,000 when you back the thing up at the end of Numbers. They had no fortress. They had no siege engines. They had no scaling ladders. They had no battering rams. They had no catapults. That's ancient weaponry. And on top of that, they're on enemy ground. How daring is that? And they're walking around the enemy's walls. History says there's two layers of walls. You say, is it true? I don't know. I'm not there. I can read a book. Can you? <laughs> the first wall was six feet thick. I'm sorry, 12 feet thick. And the second wall was 18 feet thick. That's 30 feet of wall. So we're not talking about like, oh, and the walls went, Pleh. I mean, 30 feet of wall, man. <laughs> but how daring is that? I'm just saying if you're going to serve the Lord, you're going to have to be daring in your faith. I mean, think about it. 600,000 Jews, the Ark of the Covenant and some priests, and they got all their weapons out, and they ain't saying a word. They're walking around this city, and the priests are blowing their horn. <laughs> I was wondering if I ever, you know, I saw a ram's horn in the Bible. I was wondering where the restaurant came from, amen. Some of y'all get that later. But yet they went ahead and did what God told them anyways, even though it seemed perfectly foolish. Doesn't that seem perfectly foolish? The reason you would not agree with me this morning on that is because you know how the story ends. But the prophecy came in verse 5 from the previous chapter when the angel of the Lord spoke to Joshua. And Joshua said, look, them walls are coming down. But it still required faith. It still required obedience. God's told you to do things, and he's told you to do things right out of that book that's in your lap. And let me tell you what, if you're going to serve God, you must be daring in your faith because there's going to be times in your life, and now just might be one of them, where it seems absolutely foolish for you to keep doing the things you're doing to serve the Lord. You say, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. This is the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. This makes no sense at all. You think it made sense for all those uh, Israeli soldiers to walk around the city? Okay, well, it was a great drill for today. Let's go home, eat beans. And then the seventh day, we're going to do it seven times. I bet you they had some ruts in the road. I'm just telling you this morning, if you're going to serve the Lord, your faith is going to have to be daring. Why? It seemed perfectly foolish. How the Lord operates in your life many times is not going to make the sense that you think it does. I mean, think about it. What kind of God would ask you to read a book every day? I mean, I mean, really, we are so much more advanced than that now, right? I mean, after all, I'm a visual learner. He said, read the book. Well, I do better when I hear it. He said, read the book. Give attendance to reading. Well, you know, I just have test anxiety. Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman need not be shamed. Rightly divided. Well, I just, uh, 
Foolish, ain't it? But we've come such a long way in this world that we're so smart. We're just, we're just too smart for our own good. The Bible says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. You say, what are you saying? If you're going to serve the Lord, you must be daring in your faith at times. Not every step you take is going to be a daring faith, but there's going to be some times in your Christian life, you know, dare to be a Daniel, right? Can't pray. Okay, I'm going to go pray about that one. <laughs> Into the lion's den you go. And by the time you get in the lion's den, you're like, how foolish was that? You know, maybe I just should have, like, prayed silently, right? They don't know if I'm praying or not. <laughs> Aren't you glad Daniel went down, the Bible says, as he did aforetime? And he was a little bit daring, wasn't he? He's like, you can't pray anymore. He's like, all right, where are you going? I'm going to go have a prayer meeting. <laughs> he says, and he prayed as he did aforetime. And they threw him in the lion's den. <laughs> Oh, Christian, if you're going to serve the Lord, you're going to have to be daring. You say, what do you mean by daring? Okay, make it to church. Pretty daring out on the highway, isn't it? Can we get real for a second? As everyone's distracted on the highway, isn't it pretty daring sometimes on the freeway, on the highway, even on the back roads? You're coming to a time here probably for the next two, three weeks called rut. It's going to be daring to go to church. We hit three deer, four deer in one week last year during rut. It is like, uh, yeah, bad place where we live. I'm just saying to serve the Lord, don't think it's always going to be in the lion's den or going to be in the fiery furnace, but just sometimes doing everything that you're supposed to do for Jesus Christ, you need to be daring in your faith. The times that you don't want to get up and read the book, be daring about it. Okay, I'm disgusted at my life. I'm sick and tired of where I'm at. But I'm supposed to read that book, so I'm going to go up and read it anyways and watch the Lord bless you on that thing. If you're going to serve the Lord, you have to be daring in your faith. If anyone had a reason to quit, Paul had a reason to quit. If you serve the Lord, you're going to have to be daring in your faith. And you know what? They had none of that stuff, but yet the children of Israel, they went ahead and they did what God told them to do it anyways. Seemed perfectly foolish. And you know what you have down here? Think about it. You have the Word of God, and you have the Holy Spirit. Now, this book, it'll feed you. Amen? It'll provide spiritual clothing for you. It'll keep you warm. Amen? This book is a weapon. This book is like seed. This book's like a mirror to keep you in place, the Bible says. And you know what the Holy Spirit does? It brings you the comfort that you need. And you know, over there in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, the Bible says, For we walk by faith and not by faith. What's that word? Sight. But you know what we are? We're Laodicean Christians, hands in the air, and one foot, so did two at fall. We walk by sight. You walk by sight. You have to be daring in your faith. You have to learn to walk by faith. You have to learn to start trusting the Lord a little bit more than you're doing right now. Be daring. Remember on the, in, on the playground as a kid? I dare you. I dare you. Be daring in your faith. Someone, you see someone, uh, you, you're walking from here to there. I don't know, wherever the example is in town, carry a track. I dare you to pass out a track. See, isn't that Bible supernatural? Isn't it a living book? Isn't it a growing book? Then I dare you to pass out a track. Be daring in your faith. 
I dare you to do something for Jesus Christ. I dare you to get out of your comfort zone. Everyone's got a comfort zone right here. We all do. And the difficult times in our life is when the Lord shakes that thing up and moves you and me out of our comfort zone, and we squeal and squawk and cry for a while, and all of a sudden the Lord shows you everything's going to be all right. Just stop it. Just let me do what I'm trying to work in you, and he just wants you to be daring. Trust him on it. Trust him on it. I'm thankful that the children of Israel trusted the Lord through Joshua. They were daring in their faith. Well, not only that, number four, I want you to see, if you serve the Lord, you must be disciplined. So I had you all the way up until discipline, preacher. Look at verse 10. The Bible says in Joshua 6:10, and Joshua had commanded the people, saying, Ye shall not shout, nor make any noise with your voice, neither shall any word proceed out of your mouth until the day I bid you shout, then shall you shout. I wonder if there's any of those uh, children of Israel up there when they were walking, go, doesn't he realize we have liberty? <laughs> All right, sorry, wrong dispensation. You all figure that out later, amen. But as, if you're going to serve the Lord, you're going to have to learn to be disciplined, amen. Just like if you're going to be a whatever you are in the field of work that you study, you're going to have to be disciplined in that field to be good at it. If you're a nurse, you're going to have to do continuing education. If you're a teacher, you're going to have to do, you're going to have to eventually get on a you know, antidepressants. No, just kidding. But you're going to have to continue to better yourself. That's funny. Amen. Probably a nurse too, amen. I'm stepping out of the pastor mode just for a second. I talked to the administrator. I said, I said sir, I, I don't drink because I do a substitute uh, teacher gig there. I said, I don't drink. He says, I know that. I know that, Mr. Evans. I said, but I do understand it after the last couple of days. Probably not the best thing to say, but I said, I do understand it. I understand why people do. They're trying to get away from the reality they're presently in. But anyways, you have to be disciplined. Bible says in verse 10 here, And Joshua had commanded the people, saying, Ye shall not shout. And that's something. The Israelites were told to not make a sound, and they actually listened. That shows their discipline. You know, God could do something in our Christian lives if we would be disciplined enough to allow him to work through us. But so many times he gives us the instructions. We're not stupid. We're not ignorant of his instructions. We're just many times not disciplined enough. And you see, the Lord wants to do something for you besides provide for you. He wants to give you something more than what you have. But many times you won't put the work into it and the Holy Ghost cannot do anything with what he does not have. You have to put the time into it, like reading your Bible. He wants to show you more. He wants to teach you more. You say, well, that's what I have a pastor for. Okay, fine, I understand some of that, but let me tell you what, the best learning and teaching you'll ever have is the Holy Ghost teaching you line upon line, precept upon precept, in the confines of your own home or wherever you're at, with that book, that means something. But you're going to have to be disciplined. Discipline. Unfortunately, discipline is what the last few generations coming up has not been. They have not been disciplined. So you and I now reap generational of no discipline. Now, that's why you drive around here and you'll see the most hideous and most vulgar signs politically motivated. 
There is no discipline, there is no respect, and there's a lack of care and concern about what you think and how you feel. No discipline. You say, well, this America, America my foot. I mean, who in the world would think that anyone has the right to curse and swear and say everything vulgar and godly just because you live somewhere? That's where we've come. But you have to be disciplined. You have to be disciplined. Disciplined in reading your Bible. Amen? Well, I was pretty poor. Disciplined in reading. That's what I wrote. Reading your Bible. How about discipline? Thank you. I'm going to dig for an amen one way or the other. How about discipline in your prayer life? See, you think it's all this to do, you know, cut the grass. No, 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 no. That might make the wife happy. I don't know. But how about be disciplined in your Bible reading? How about being disciplined in your prayer life? And then how about being disciplined in your service? And just take those three and let the Holy Spirit deal with you on those. Look, I'm... I'm not a, you know this, I'm not a real heavy guy in pastoral authority. I know some preachers, man, they want you to ask them what kind of house to buy, and they want you to ask them what kind of, whatever, man, just get a good deal, man. Some people, some people come to me, Pastor, what, what college should I go to? I'm like, I'm the wrong guy to ask what college to go to. I really am. You ask my family, I'm the wrong guy to ask that question. And I'm in college right now. But unless God wants you in college, you better not go. Why? Discipline. But can you be disciplined in reading your Bible this week? How about today? Well, you know, preacher, I'd read my Bible on Sundays, but you sure do go through a lot of Scripture. I don't think I have to. Can you read your Bible today? Can you pray today? We're not talking like Martin Luther prayers. Martin Luther said, the first four hours of my day are the best time I spend in prayer. <laughs> Okay, man, <laughs> that's a German for you, extremely thorough, stubborn and hard-headed. Well, that's kind of Brit English. <clears throat> Anyways, but uh, uh, first, no, listen, you start with four minutes and set the timer, <laughs> and you probably still finish between four minutes is over. Serious, but don't think you've got to spend four hours in prayer. And don't think that the position in prayer is more important than just praying. Some people think, well, if I'm not prostrate on my face, if I'm not on my knees wearing grooves into my hardwood floor, then I'm not. Just pray, man. Paul said uh, pray without ceasing, right? Just pray. Everyone in northern Michigan has to drive at least 25 minutes to a Walmart, unless you live in town. <laughs> right? You have to drive a half hour to go somewhere. You know, pray. Just pray. Keep your eyes open when you drive, amen? But pray. Just discipline yourself to read the Bible and discipline yourself to pray. Let me tell you what, the more you begin to pray when you have a moment of time, the more you'll find yourself praying. The more you'll be longing for those blocks of time and what the Lord will do is He'll show you how much time you actually have. And then you're like, oh yeah. And you just find yourself worrying about just needless garbage all the time and always thinking about this person and thinking about what that person says and being upset over here when the Lord's like, hey, just have a conversation. We're just talking about if you're going to serve the Lord, you're going to have to be disciplined. And you see the discipline through Joshua chapter 6. He said, don't talk. And they didn't talk. You know, you know uh, there's a two-word phrase I use the most when I teach. 
Stop talking. That's what the Lord wants you to do. Stop talking to everyone else and just start talking to him. Be disciplined. Be disciplined in your Bible reading, your prayer life. And Paul said in 2 Corinthians 9.24, And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. He also says, Let your moderation be known unto all men. Can I give you another one here this morning? We're on the back side of this thing, so we're coming to a, a quick halt here. Number five, if you serve the Lord, not only must you be disciplined, but you also must be self-denying. Look at verse 18 real quick this morning. The Bible says, And ye in any wise keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest you make yourself accursed when you take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel curse and trouble. There's a bunch of curses in that thing, ain't there? Ain't that something? And it just happens to be verse what? 18. That's 6 plus 6 plus 6, right? Associated with a curse. All right, all you uh, numerical studiers. Now, you ought to be self-denying. Keep yourself from the accursed thing. Now, let me tell you what a complementary quality to a servant of di who's disciplined is self-denial. God told the Israelites to keep their hands off the spoil. And with the exception of one fellow that pops up the next chapter, Achan, they keep their hands off it. You know what God's saying in essence in this life? Keep your hands off the spoil. I'm going to try to put that together in just a second here. He wants us, he wants us as servants to be self-denying. Self-denying. Keep your hands off the spoil. Keep your hands off the spoil. Over in 1 Samuel 15, <clears throat> uh, King Saul receives the same instructions about the Amalekites. If you remember, he told uh, King Saul through Samuel, you go in and you destroy all the Amalekites, right? You kill them all. Uh, dog, cat, you know, mamma, papa, kill them all. <clears throat> and don't leave any alive. And, uh, but that's, uh, that's the same instruction that Joshua gets. But Saul, he couldn't deny himself a war trophy, could he? You know who Saul's war trophy was in 1 Samuel 15? He saved the king alive. He's supposed to kill him. Now, we're not talking about the physical attributes of war. We're looking at the spiritual aspects that God said, wipe something out and keep your hands off it. And Saul had to have himself a war trophy. Not only that, not only did Saul have to have a war trophy, but the people had to have the best of the oxen and the best of the sheep. Christian, can I plug you in somewhere? If you're not careful, you will think that down here when you're serving God that you have to have the best of this and the best of that. And the Lord said, hey, the best is yet to come and keep your hands off it so you can serve me and do what I, what I want you to do. You say, are you saying that? I'm not saying that. I'm saying you have to learn self-denial. It does not come automatically. King Saul just couldn't deny, keep himself from having a war trophy. And the people under Saul couldn't either. And you know what Saul's excuse was when Samuel showed up? <laughs> oh, we're going to take them cattle and them ox. We're just going to sacrifice them to the Lord. <laughs> That's what he said in my paraphrase. But you realize, you know what Saul said? He said, That's idolatry and witchcraft. You ever stop and think that no matter how much spiritual service you do to the Lord, it never trumps doing what God says. I don't care how busy you are, how much service you're serving the Lord with, it'll never replace doing just simply doing what God says. You ever stop and think what caused, uh, what caused Saul to lose the kingdom? The fact that Saul couldn't keep his hands off the spoil, the fact that Saul would not listen to what God said, he lost the kingdom. 
and Samuel relates that thing to idolatry and witchcraft. New Testament, fast forward, Galatians chapter 5, 19, 20, 21, idolatry and witchcraft are works of the flesh. You say, uh, okay, preacher, that's great. And a Christian that messes up with those things and won't keep his hands off the spoil down here, you know what it does? He loses his spiritual kingdom up there. We're not talking about salvation. We're talking about the opportunity to rule and reign with Jesus Christ. I want you to see the passage. Go to Galatians chapter 5 real quick. I think this is an important catch for you to grab onto today before we're done. Galatians chapter 5 verse 19. The sins that Saul was uh, mixed up in are part of the works of the flesh that causes the believer to lose his inheritance in the kingdom of God. Verse 19, Galatians 5, 19, the Bible says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, there it is, witchcraft, there it is, hatred, variance, emulation, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murder, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. That's in case he forgot what you're messed up with. Amen. Of the which I tell you before, as I've also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. You see that? Saul lost the kingdom. Number one, he wouldn't listen to God. He wouldn't do what God told him. And he couldn't keep his hands off the spoil. And Christian, if you're not careful, you get messed up with those works of the flesh and you'll lose your opportunity to rule and reign with Jesus Christ although you're still saved and you'll go to heaven. You say, well, what will everybody else do? Well, I guess you'll have to watch what everybody else is doing. It's not spelled out. I don't want to lose that opportunity to rule and reign. You say, yeah, yeah well, I know you. <laughs> well, I know me too. Doesn't that scare me? <laughs> Saul lost the kingdom because he wouldn't deny himself. And let me put this on you here, and we'll call this thing quits for the morning. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus Christ says, And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross daily, and follow me. Just some simple spiritual lessons about serving the Lord found in Joshua chapter 6. I hope it's been a help to you this morning. I hope you see that if you're going to serve the Lord, a couple of things are going to happen. You're going to be distinct to this world. You'll be able to see the defeat over all obstacles if you just stick with it. Christians are pulling the plug by the carload. They're bailing out. Don't quit. Don't quit. Keep going. If you serve the Lord, you need to be daring in your faith. You've got to be disciplined, and you've got to be self-denying. All found, I see, in Joshua chapter 6. Well, as Miss Elizabeth comes to the organ this morning, if the Lord's dealt with your heart on anything about serving the Lord, I'll open up the altar and you guys come pray. She's going to come pray here. Are you a servant of Jesus Christ this morning? Are you fully surrendered to your master, the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you long to serve him with every breath you got? Or have you let the things of this world get in the way of your service? Maybe you become the servants of men more the servants of God. You see, in verse 27, God always honors the men that serve Him completely. And God won't take second place. He won't take second fiddle to anybody at all. Do you long to recommit your service to Jesus Christ? Do you long for His return? Then good. Be distinct in the world. Strive to be disciplined and ask the Lord to help you live a life of self-denial.